This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. We're back at it. Episode 28. 28 times we've been back here on this lovely little Monday, and we're going to talk your tongue. And we have another one because apparently I can't stay away from the 70s. Maybe a past life or, you know, maybe something in the 70s. Like, why do, why do we keep cycling back there? Was it really just that wild of a, uh, of a time in U.S. history? I don't know. Oh, know who that voice is? That's Meg. What's up, Meg? Hey. Super excited to have you back. And for whoever's listening, for whatever reason, thank you as well. This is an interesting one. Another one in New York, and it's in a jail. Yeah, that's right. It's in a jail. Huh. It's pretty wild in this in a place called Attica, New York. So, like I said, I don't we keep talking jails, we keep talking 70s. So either I was a prisoner in my past life or I was hanging out in the 70s, which is possible, I guess. But either way, I feel like we should uh we should just play the intro and jump right into this because it's uh it's pretty wild. What do you think? Beat first. Beat first, let's go. Intro when? Now. Okay. Great piano work by Meg on that intro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as mentioned in the quick little introduction, I guess it was an overly quick, but uh, Attica is a town in Wyoming County, which is located in New York. So Wyoming in New York, not confusing at all. There's a lot of states that do that, right? Like, I know, right? Like, are we that unoriginal? Like, people <laughs> back in the day were like, we're just going to have Wyoming County because uh, that looks like a mountain. <laughs> I don't know what that voice was, but either way, <laughs> we're going to move on. Uh, the population uh, was 7,702 <laughs> on the last census in Attica. That's in Wyoming County in the lovely state of New York. Department of Corrections. Shout out to you guys. Major employer, not only in this area, but a, a major employer for a lot of places throughout New York, especially small towns. I know a handful of people that are family members made a career or making a career out of the correction system and a lot of friends and some stuff like that. So they seem to enjoy it. Pay seems good. Benefits seem good. Uh, I personally couldn't do a, pretty much a life sentence or at least a 25, 20 to 25 year sentence in jail. Somebody has to. So shout out to all of our correction officers. We do greatly appreciate you taking care of, um, you know, all of these people that are in there for the right or wrong reasons. So Department of Corrections, again, there's what minimum, medium and maximum security facilities throughout the state. And at the time of this, the Attica Correctional Facility um, was a maximum was both a maximum and a medium security um, sorry, both of these have a, a maximum. The Attica was maximum. And then the Wyoming Correctional Facility was a medium. Hmm. Sorry, I was thinking Wyoming and the Cowboys. And then I was thinking football that's coming up. So let us know, I guess, if you're a Cowboys or a Chargers fan tonight, they play. Um, but either <laughs> way, uh, they, the, the facilities had been there since like the 1930s. And like I said, this became a, a prison town. And in, in, in the place where we live, it was kind of a prison town as well. Two 
jails and uh, unfortunately there's only one now because of cuts and all that stuff but again a lot of correctional officers tend to live in the area where they work or at least travel in or, or at least kind of close by so it's kind of a cool thing i guess where a lot of the money at least gets pumped back into the local economy but uh very very unfortunate incident in this area you've probably heard of it if not have, have you heard of this before mm -hmm. i'm not sure not sure. And, and the what we're referring to is the Attica Prison Riot. And it is a pretty wild, wild scene. And uh, it's something that is very scary. And it's probably something that goes through a lot of correction officers' mind occasionally, at least maybe when they start to get in there, like that uh, unfortunate event where there's a lot of prisoners. I and feel like I've heard of it, but I don't really know the details, I guess. Gotcha. And you haven't read any of the notes. And again, this was something that I did because um, Zach, who's taking a little bit of a break because he had a baby. So congratulations. Mm -hmm. um, a little bit to Zach, but a bigger congratulations to the wife. Um, you know, obviously they do all of the work. You know, we so congratulations to them. Hopefully Zach will get back to writing some episodes. We do have one more in the queue that he wrote. No spoilers, but let's give him a clue. A little bit of a clue. It's in the U.S. Ha! All right. <laughs> so the Attica Prison Riot. Well done. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Was also known as the Attica Prison Rebellion, the Attica Uprising, or the Attica Prison Massacre. And obviously it took place in this prison that we have given you a little bit of some details on. And it started September 9th, 1971, and ended September 13th with the highest number of fatalities in the history of the United States Prison Uprisings. Wow. Yeah. So at the time, it was the 10th of notable prison riots from 1929 to 1971. But listen to this. There was four prison riots from 71. Um, uh, there were four prison riots in 71 and six in the 70s. So from 1929 to 1971, there was the 10th notable one. And in the 70s, there was six. Huh. 70s were wild. But in this riot... 43 men died. 33 of them were inmates and 10 were employees of the jail. All but one guard and three inmates were killed by law enforcement gunfire when the state tried to retake or when they did take uh, back control of the prison on the final day of the uprising. And the Attica uprising has been described as a historic event in the prisoners' rights movement. So 43 people died, 33 of them inmates. And we're just, and it could have been correction officers, could have been civilians. There's a lot of uh, civilians that are in the jails as well. But mm -hmm. all of the, all of, all but one guard and three inmates, all but four people were killed by law enforcement. That's wild. Isn't it? All right. So, what really went down? I know you're thinking this, Meg, and, and if you're still sticking here and haven't got sick of listening to me, Meg, yet, um, let's just, let's just jump right into this. As Meg said, feet first. first. Let's do this. So the uprising occurred because prisoners desired better conditions and took place within a larger context of poor prison conditions and growing activism in the late 20th century. Prisoners spent 14 to 16 hours a day in their cells. Their mail was read. The reading material restricted. Their visits from families conducted through a mesh screen. Their medical care disgraceful. Their parole system, not great. And the biggest thing that uh, they really, really wanted to kind of take control of this was the racism everywhere. The guards treating, you know, uh, prisoners of race just terribly. 
uh, overcrowding contributed to the poor conditions as in recent years the prison's population had increased from the 1200 prisoners for which it was designed for to 2243 almost double capacity of overcrowding at the time of this riot that's crazy isn't it and uh, obviously we talked about the racial thing and um, it, w- it was pretty rough. Within the prison population, 54, 54% of the uh, inc- incarcerated men were African-American, 9% were Puerto Rican, and 37% were white. All of the guards, or all but one of the guards, depending on the source, there's different stories of anything, but either way, all but either one or all of them were Caucasian or white guards. Guards would often throw out letters that were written in Spanish. They wouldn't even go through them. They didn't always, they just couldn't understand it and read it. They'd throw it away. And so these Puerto Rican prisoners, obviously a little bit upset or, you know, anybody that spoke Spanish and got these letters. And um, for whatever reason, they decided that it was a good idea. Again, the the prison or the um, guards and the people running the prison, that the black prisoners got the lowest paid jobs and actually subjected them to just terrible, regular racial harassment in just a terrible, terrible thing to uh, think about, especially, you know, when we're growing up, where we're growing up, you know what I mean? It's just to think that this stuff actually occurred and, and not only the jails, but the world is just a, you know, different time, terrible thing, but uh, you hate to see it. But during this period of time, uh, the culture of the prisoner uh, activism for better treatment, everything just continued to grow and to grow in the previous year. Again, this is 1971. When this occurred, there was an uprising at a, another New York correctional facility, the Manhattan Detention Complex. Inmates held five guards hostage for eight hours until state officials agreed to hear prisoners' grievances and take no punitive action against the rioters. Despite the promise, officials had the primary ringleader shipped. Guess where? <laughs> Attica. And many were held for months in solitary confinement and faced further criminal charges. Like... Come on, you promise them. I mean, it's one of these things you want to trust them because they're like, yeah, you know, don't worry. Just everybody calm down. There's going to be no act. Everything's going to be fine. We're going to listen. We're going to take care. Now, we're just going to ship you out of here. We're going to put you in solitary confinement and we're not going to do anything about it. But thanks for not hurting us. That's just, that's, hey, I wasn't there, but uh, hindsight, Mm. not good. All right. So then in July, of 1971. Remember, this occurred in September of 1971. So this is July. A group of Attica inmates presented a list of 27 demands regarding improving conditions in Attica to the state commissioner of corrections, Russell Oswald, and the governor, Nelson Rockefeller. These demands included improvements in multiple areas, such as the diet, the quality of the guards, rehabilitation programs, and in particular, education programs. Seems feasible, right? Mm -hmm. The inmates also demanded increased religious freedom, the ability to engage in political activity and an end to censorship, which they argued were all vital to proper education within the prison. The commissioner did not take any actions on any of the items on the list. Hey, this is Casey Shearer. And this is Ray. Do you like pop culture? We're pretty sure you do. Then come on over and check us out at deluxeedition.show. You will not be sorry. Or maybe you will be. I don't know. So, so let's go to August 1971. George Jackson, a prominent member of the Black Panther Party, was shot and killed during an escape attempt in which three prison guards and two white inmates 
or murdered at San Quentin State Prison in California. Some historians believe that the killing of Jackson, who had worked for prisoner rights, was a catalyst for the uprising at Attica. The day after Jackson's death, at least 700 Attica inmates participated in a hunger strike in his honor. So this is just building up, mm-hmm. building up. And then on Wednesday, September 8th, the day before 1971, an incident occurred that catalyzed the riot the next day. According to Blood in the Water, the Attica prison uprising of 1971 and its legacy, an account of the uprising by historian Heather Ann Thompson, two inmates fought during their recreation break, and a correction officer came up to intervene. One inmate had already left the area, but the officer demanded the remaining inmate return to his cell. And in the ensuing argument, the inmate hit the officer. Other inmates and guards joined the commotion, and another inmate also hits the officer before the violence could uh, intensify. Lieutenant Robert Curtis, there's two S's, moved to de-escalate the situation. Later that evening, Warden Vincent and QC ordered the two inmates involved in the altercation to be taken to solitary confinement. But when the officers arrived at five company to take the inmates away, other prisoners resisted. The other inmates in five companies. See, I hesitate because I, I wasn't sure what five companies. Yeah, I, I still I don't know what that is. It's got to be some kind of um, like correction officer term or maybe five companies. Specialized group or something. Yeah. So excuse us. We're not knowing what it is, but let us know in the comments if uh, if you happen to know what five company is. But uh, so the other inmates in five company shouted and threw. Maybe it's the area like a like cell block D or maybe it's the five company. Let's go with that. Yeah, we know what we're talking about. Uh, the other inmates of five <laughs> companies shouted and threw things at the guards, and one inmate, William Ortiz, hit an officer with a can of soup, resulting in him being assigned to keep lock or confinement to his cell. <laughs> things are not good. So then let's get right into this. The morning, it's Thursday, September 9, 1971. Prisoners of five company were still upset, rightfully so, and demanded that officers tell them what would become of Ortiz. Officer Gordon Kelsey told them he did not know and tried to continue his routine. As inmates headed to breakfast, some managed to open Ortiz's cell door, and he left with them to the mess hall. When the command staff found out what had occurred, they decided to return all of the men of the five company to their cells after breakfast. But they didn't inform all the correction officers, and when officers led inmates out toward the recreation area after breakfast, both officers and inmates were surprised to find the doors locked. The inmates believed they were about to be punished, and a melee broke out which resulted in chaos as some inmates attacked the guards and others tried to flee. The chaos spread to other nearby companies of inmates, and the uprising begins. During this stage, several guards and inmates were injured. Officer William Quinn actually died in the hospital two two days later because of injuries that happened because of the initial riot. So this was before the major one. This is before the major, major one. So yeah, they're just kind of walking. Of course miscommunication and, and technology isn't as good or you know obviously in the 70s as it is now but there's miscommunication they're bringing people to wreck like they do every single day doors locked wonder if he's counted in that oh that's a good question hmm. that total or if it's a separate right interesting <laughs> so then that happens it's noon, September 9th. Correction officers and police controlled about half the prison and its inmates, while 1,281 of Attica's approximately 2,200 inmates controlled the other half, including D-Yard, two tunnels, and the central control room, referred to as Times Square. 
inmates held 42 officers and some uh, civilian employees as hostages. Could you imagine being family? Mm. You know what I mean? You just, mm-hmm. you know, you have your, your brother, your cousin, your uncle, your, your father, your grandfather, you know, just reporting to work like always. And then the news, they don't come home and you're wondering and man, that's gotta be a little bit of some chaos mm-hmm. too. And being back then, I'm surprised too. You didn't maybe even have some civilians, some family members, you know, I mean, there's some hickish people that show up and try to help out. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe that's lucky that that didn't happen. huh? So then negotiations, they go on for several days, but while all of this was happening, a plan to overtake the prison was being made at 8 25 AM on Monday, September 13th, 1971. Oswald gave the inmates a statement directing them to release the hostages and accept the offered settlement within the hour. However, he did not tell them negotiations had ended and he would take the prison back by force if they refused, even stating, I want to continue negotiations with you. The inmates rejected his offer, and as it appeared to them, as though Rockefeller remained opposed to their demands, the mood among the inmates deteriorates. So in preparation for the prison, authorities potentially taking the prison back by force, inmates actually dug defensive trenches, electrified metal gates, fashioned crude battlements out of metal tables and dirt, and fortified the Times Square, which was obviously the prison command center. After Oswald left following the inmates' rejection of his latest offer, the inmates decided to try to impress upon prison officials that they were serious about their demands and to remind them that inmates had power over the hostages if the state was going to come in by force. The inmates brought eight correction officers to the catwalk on top of the command center, surrounded them with the inmates armed with homemade weapons. According to the surviving inmates, they did not intend to actually kill the hostages, but rather just kind of use them as insurance in case they needed it. Mm -hmm. Shortly after the inmates and hostages were positioned on the catwalk, Oswald then gives the order to begin retaking them. Of the decision, he later said, on a much smaller scale, I think I have some feeling now of how Truman must have felt when he decided to drop the A-bomb. Huh. I don't know if... I don't I don't like that he said that. That's a... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even if you say smaller scale, that's a much smaller scale. Instead, you're going to go kill some innocent people. And anyways, let's move on past. 9.46 a.m., Monday, September 13, 1971, tear gas is then dropped into the yard and hundreds of New York State Police troopers, the uh, Bureau of Criminal Investigations personnel, deputy sheriffs, park police, correction officers, open fire into the smoke. Among the weapons used by the troopers were shotguns loaded with buckshot pellets, which led to the wounding and killing of hostages and inmates who were not resisting. Additionally, some of the guns utilized by the law enforcement use unjacketed bullets. It's a, it's a kind of ammunition that causes such enormous damage to human flesh that it was actually banned by the Geneva Conventions. Wow. Yeah, not a, not a good look there. But uh, correction officers from Attica were allowed to participate. A decision later called inexcusable by the commission um, established by Rockefeller to study the riot in the aftermath. By the time the facility was reported as fully secured at 10.05 a.m., Law enforcement has shot at least 128 men, killed nine hostages, 29 inmates. The 10th hostage, correctional officer Harrison W. Whalen, died on night, uh, October 9, 1971, of gunshot wounds received during the assault. I mean, they just threw a bunch of gas and just started firing. I feel like there had to be a better way. Uh, yeah, that seems like a lot of hostages to take. <sighs> I mean, 128 men. Or shot. 
128 of t- what 2200 mm-hmm. i don't know the math on that but uh it's a decent percentage of them and uh the public obviously was outraged protest occurred bombs were actually um set off near oswald's office and many lawsuits occurred throughout the years because of this laws were put into place books were written movies were made songs were written poetry tv shows you name it they're out there it was just an absolutely ugly historical event that occurred and maybe because of this event too you know the people that we know that work in corrections now are much safer and uh you know what i mean and, and the conditions and everything is it, maybe it's in a better spot because of this but uh i mean that's crazy isn't it Meg? i do feel like i've seen a movie about it yeah Sim- uh, something similar yeah i forget the actual uh name of the movie but uh, i saw it earlier Yeah, I don't. I just—it's just called Attica, apparently. Um, then there, okay, so a movie, Attica, was released in 2021. So very recent. There was a TV movie that was in 1980, which was a made-for-TV film released in 1980. And then um, there's something called Against the Wall, that was also there, which was based on a tr- the the story of the Attica prison uprising of 1971. That one has Samuel L. Jackson. When did that one come out? Uh, 1994. Maybe that's the one I'm thinking of. Against the wall. So I haven't seen the, the first one you said is too recent. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Had good rating, seven and a half out of ten, according to uh, IMDb. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I said, just uh, so if you guys are interested and uh, want to check it out, you guys can check out Against the Wall, then check out Attica, and uh, then you guys are you know if there's anything we missed or anything that you would like to add to it, then let us know in the comments. Anything else to add to that? Or... You know. Should we do the quote? Do it. Okay. Here's a quote. What a waste of human power. What a waste of human lives. Shoot the prisoners in the towers. 43 for widowed wives. And that was actually written. It's a song by John Lennon. And it's the uh, the song Attica State. That was the lyrics. Um, like I said, him, he, he decided to write something about it. And uh, yeah, feel free to check that out as well. And obviously this episode and all of our research wouldn't be possible without the following sources. Wikipedia, troopersny.gov, uh, Britannica.com, and NPR.org. So able to find a lot of different stories, a little different tactics and details and some stuff like that from several websites. But uh, just, uh, just a crazy one. Crazy one. So in the next episode, we're going to try to get it out of the 70s. Shout out to all the people that lived and had a good time in the 70s because there is a lot of wild times in there but uh yeah shout out to also while we're doing that uh the deluxe edition network probably should at the beginning of the show but uh podcast of the month is um the terror tuesday in the graveyard club a couple of uh kind of cool october feels on there and uh we're, we're thankful to be out there on the deluxe edition network so check them out deluxe edition network.com and uh, again congrats to zach and the wife on the new baby and uh thanks man no problem bro I'm not wrong. Okay. No, it's not. And, uh, you guys should check out the Deluxe Edition Network because they do a podcaster of the week. And uh, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, last week, your boy, Matt, me, I was podcaster of the week. Deluxe Edition Network. So thank you for that honor. I don't deserve it, but either way, super excited to be there. And uh, congratulations to whoever the podcaster of the week is right now at the time of the release. But uh, ooh, ooh, ooh. there it is. We didn't get it done, 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 but we got, uh, uh, we got that. So. All right, that's all we got. And if you're just staring at this your town hat, you can get one. Check it out. They're on the internet. But either way, can't thank you guys enough. 
That's all I got. You got anything else, Meg? Not that I can think of. All right. Well, thanks for listening, wherever you are, wherever you are. And uh, can't thank you enough. That's all I got. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Quad Pro Quo. Right now, you are probably thinking to yourself, oh, great, another movie podcast. Well, dear listener, you would be right. But throw in a couple of marriages, decades-long friendships, and a shared property line, and you have just another movie podcast with a shitload of drama. Inspired by the iconic quid pro quo scene in Silence of the Lambs, Each week, one of us will pick a movie. It could be a childhood favorite, a classic film noir, an Academy Award winner, or a complete dumpster fire that brings joy to that person's heart. The selector's objective? To get us to love, or at the very least, not hate their pick. Will our marriages, our friendships, and our neighborhood survive? Find out each Thursday on Quad Pro Quo.